Hello, and welcome to Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even into the 21st century. We welcome you to the show here. I do have Mike on the show with me tonight. And Hello. we're going to do something a little different. I, I know I keep saying that, but, you know, this is actually something, <laughs> a change from talking about movies and television shows and video games that we normally talk about. Uh, we're going to do something... We're going to do a top 10. It's basically going to be Mike's top 10 and my top 10 of what we think are the best movie themes ever. Okay. And this is all instrumental. So there's not going to be a whole lot of, you know, singing or anything going on with it. Uh, We have that. We're going to be covering that here in just a few minutes. But I did want to let everybody know I actually did draw for the Batman action figure. uh, And it is actually going out to Jancy Pena. Jancy actually, believe it or not, used to work with me way back when at Cox Communications, and then he left to go work it at uh, Time Warner. So he's over there now. He won that, and I still have some other things I'm thinking about giving away here. Uh, maybe be since I actually have 79 people who are like who have liked the page, I may try and just wait for see if I can possibly get 80 or 100 here. Uh, mm-hmm. 80 is only one more away. And believe it or not, one of the people who liked the page was Robbie Rist. So Robbie is out there listening. Cousin <laughs> Oliver. Cousin Oliver and Michelangelo is, is yeah. listening to this podcast. So The only reason why he liked the page, and I don't I hope he doesn't go back and unlike it, but the only reason why he liked it is because I shared it on my Facebook wall. <laughs> yeah, probably. But you know I, what, I'm not gonna I, complain. <laughs> I have been dying. To interview Robbie, I would love to interview, especially with this being the 30th anniversary of Turtles overall. And I oh, just yeah. rewatched the original movie a couple of weeks ago, and it's like, oh my god! And I think we talked about this when we talked about the movies. I, as a kid, as a 10 year old in 1990, I <laughs> always used to think he said a foul checker. As in, somehow you can foul at the game of checkers. <laughs> Not a fellow chucker. So, uh, no, I would love to talk to Robbie. Robbie's one of those people that he has done amazing stuff. Uh, super awesome dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just he sounds like a lot of fun. He's got his own band that he's running now. You know, he's still living in the Cousin Oliver period you know people still mm-hmm. recognize him as cousin oliver from brady bunch people still hate him for that but hey you know what i still think he's cool so i'm gonna go with that <laughs> yeah nah, you know you can't hate an actor for something like that because no. that was a role that he was given i mean you know okay i'm sure he auditioned for it and got it but like that was a role that the creators and the writers went in and put in that show. So if you want to hate yeah. anybody, hate the creators and writers of, of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Sherwood Schwartz, hate him. There you go. <laughs> so with that, let's move on here. We'll go ahead and we'll start into our top 10 songs, our top, top 10 movie themes. Uh, Mike, I'm going to go ahead and let you go first with, with uh, your number 10, and then we'll just alternate back and forth, 10 all the way up until 1. All right. Um, I actually have to find it here because I think I just copied it into Facebook and. <laughs> well, you you just tell me because yeah, go ahead no, and say which no, one I, it is and I'll play yeah, it. Yeah, so. no, I no, I, I got it. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying I have to find oh. the list because I Ew. I just <laughs> I just created the the document and then copied it out of there into Facebook and after that I you know, 
So uh, my number 10 is John Williams' uh, Superman theme, the main Superman theme from Superman 1978. And here we go, folks. I'll give you a little taste of this. God, I love that music. That's just, it's I, so iconic. <laughs> there are so many times that, um, so many times in the history of Superman that they have used that, not just the movies, but obviously Williams did the thing for the film originally. Um, but like, you know, I know a lot of people out there don't care for Smallville, the young Clark Kent show from 2001 to 2010 or 2011 or whatever the hell. It ran 10 years. So yeah. 2011. Uh, but, like, and one of the reasons why in later seasons, I think past, like, season says, well, I like season seven for the simple fact that Laura Vandervoot is Supergirl. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but really, as far as the story goes in that show, I uh, Past season five, I, I would have to go back and watch and see if I actually like like that show. But the first five seasons weren't that bad. And the whole point with Smallville was showing a young Clark Kent. What would he do before he got the powers, whatever else? And apparently willing to avoid the Superman curse signed, you know, in his contract, he basically says, no tights, no flights. So yeah. we never see him in the actual suit, but... The series finale episode. The last piece of music you hear in it is the John Williams theme. Oh and, my God! And it 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 was just um, just hearing that music. I mean, j just hearing it. It's it, it's so so well done. Uh, it, it was argue well. It is. It, there's no there's no arguing about it. It was the first ever superhero theme on screen because Superman, yeah. the movie, was the first ever superhero film to be put to movie screen, movie screens. Yeah. And if you really sit down and listen to that music, there is so much. There's there's high action in it and stuff, but if you listen to the quieter moments, you can tell where Donner wanted that music to play during the opening Kryptonian scene and oh, as, yeah. Clark, as, and as baby Kal-El is, is flying through space, uh, you know, there's so many little things about that music that just absolutely amazing. What is your number 10, sir? My number 10, I'm going to give you a taste of it here. See if you recognize it. Indy. Nope. It's not Indy. Nope. Uh, damn. Was it the Goonies? Nope. Supergirl? No. <laughs> what is it? This one involved an alien and Steven oh. Spielberg. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I, I looking back on it, the movie... E.T., the extraterrestrial, the movie was okay. I mean, looking back on it now, 
I, I'm kind of like, okay, I saw it as a kid, but the music itself, just the swell of everything that you hear and mm-hmm. everything coming into it and just kind of this nice upbeat thing. And you're talking about aliens from another planet coming here. You know, mm-hmm. this is an alien who's running around and yet you get this happy feeling because he's afraid of everything else. He's trying to befriend people there and he just wants to get home. That's it. And that's the whole story behind it. The music really just kind of melted into that and, and just meshed so well. And I love this theme song because of that. It's yeah. one that I hear and I, as soon as I instantly hear it, I go, I know what that is. That's E.T. Drives See, my wife nuts. <laughs> you're... <laughs> uh... <sighs> I think you're a little older than I am. I think I don't remember. Uh, I I was when that movie came out eighty four, right? I think so. Yeah. So, oh God, ET has thirtieth anniversary this year. Jesus Christ. Um, I was four when that movie came out. I saw that movie probably when I was five or six. The only two things I remember is the bike ride over the moon and ET phone home. Yeah, you know, those are the only two things I remember from that movie. I have not gone back, and I've never in since since I was five or six years old. I, I had seen that movie as a kid four or five, six different times, but since that time, I have never gone back and watched it. I know oh, that's yeah. probably a travesty to most people, but it just—I mean—it took me. Okay, Tron came out when I was two. Tron came out in 1982, so it took me until. The, the new it took me <laughs> nearly 30 years to actually see the first Tron movie in oh, preparation man. for Legacy you know so you know so some things as a kid I missed or I just don't remember um so I I am of and and this is another one for my number nine this is another franchise that I they have said, and I and I've seen the second film in the franchise. They've said that Temple of Doom is meant to be a, an homage to the horror. No, not yet, not yet. Sorry, turn that shit off. <laughs> there. Um, uh, they say that Temple of Doom is meant to be a horror, some sort of you know, uh, an homage to the horror genre. I'm not a yeah. horror movie fan at all whatsoever, and I was way too. I don't even. When did Raiders come out? Was it eighty? Um, 81? I think it was, I, I want to say it was 81 uh, or 82, because my parents took me to see it, and I remember seeing Raiders in the theater as part of a double mm-hmm. feature. And I remember my parents covering my eyes at the very end when you see everybody's faces melting. And they're like, don't look, don't look. And then they mm-hmm. took my hands away as the top of the ark is coming back down and descending from heaven on top of the ark. And it was right. kind of like, okay, that was cool. You know, I, I didn't know what I was afraid of at that point, but, you know, they're covering my face and saying, don't look. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, like, for me, honestly, it's not... Temple of Doom and Raiders were really before my time. Uh, and I didn't really get into the Jones franchise until... Until... Um, Last Crusade in 1989. I love Last Crusade. Now you can oh. play it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. 
Nights. God, I Prob- love that song. <laughs> yeah, probably the only treasure hunt movie out of the 80s that I absolutely love is Last Crusade. Um, yeah, and I and I and I did pull it up here on on Wikipedia. Raiders came out in eighty one. Temple came out in eighty four. So again, I was one year old when Raiders came out. I still to this yeah. day, and I, I know again this is going to be a travesty, and people are probably going to you know be shaking their fists at their MP three players and whatever else, or iPads or whatever. I still to this day have not seen Raiders of the Lost Ark in, in its entirety. Okay. Um, What's so funny about it is recently, I think it was season six or seven. I, th- I, th- I think it was season seven of The Big Bang Theory. Um, Sheldon goes <laughs> to show Amy Raiders of the Lost Ark. And she basically, you know, she basically points out that if Indiana Jones wasn't there, it would still be the same damn movie that it was. Yeah, and if she, she, she had started looking ruins, for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, but like, for me growing up, 1989, I was nine years old. Batman was, you know, Batman come out, Indiana Jones had come out, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, or not, Last Crusade, just, it was what, you know, I, it was what I loved about oh, Indiana yeah. Jones. I, me personally, it's, the number one movie out of all four for me personally. I would probably in there, you know, I'd probably go Last Crusade, Raiders, Temple, and then Kingdom of the Idiot Skull. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I would put I would put it, you know, I'm, I, because I, Raiders was the very first one I saw. I liked Raiders. The, the mm-hmm. whole concept right at the very beginning of, you know, him running away from the stone, that to me hooked me right then and there, and I loved it. Temple of Doom, I was terrified because you see you see Molaram ripping a heart out of somebody's body, and that scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Last Crusade, I loved Last Crusade just as I mean it, it's. I would put that as my favorite Raiders, you know, favorite indie movie, and then Raiders, and then you know, Temple, and, and of course Idiot Skull. But you know, they're supposedly mm-hmm. coming out with a fifth one, and I'm like, just stop, stop. Harrison Ford is too old. Well, it's not even that he's too old because I've seen rumors out there in the last six months or so that Harrison may not even be in it. It may be somebody else, you know, and it may be somebody else's. It's like they're go. It's like with some of these actors, they become so old that hey, let's go the James Bond route and still have Indiana Jones. But you know, if they do Indiana Jones five and Harrison isn't in it. I mean, even in some sort of just teaching capacity and he sends his students out on a quest and they get somebody else to play him, it's basically going to be the James Bond. It's going to turn into, hey, guess who's playing Indiana Jones this time around? Yeah. I, it's it's a cash cow that I think they need to stop trying to milk. But, yeah. yeah. So anyway, let's move on to my next my next one here. Number eight. Uh, yes. This one here, this one here, it's from the 90s, <laughs> and I'm going to play it. It's probably, it was one of the first movies I saw that really got my blood pumping. So we'll play a little bit here. Silence of the Lambs? No. <laughs> no. 
people are probably going, what the hell? Why is it so slow and so soft? Is it Forrest Gump? No. I can just see the feather going across your screen. Yeah. No, this is actually the ending theme from Jurassic Park. Uh, I, and I'm sure most people are like, Jurassic Park, really? I, You know, no, I love I the mean, movie it, for it, it was. It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great movie, um, but go ahead and give your thoughts on it. It was a great movie, but yeah. it's... It, it, the, the thing with this is it's another John Williams. I, you know, <laughs> the guy, I, I'm going to be honest, half of our stuff here is going to be John Williams composings. Uh, it's just he's that good. And this was one of the ones that it kind of captured the whole mystery and everything that you were seeing. When you first saw the dinosaurs, it was kind of like, oh, my God, you've got these dinosaurs on screen and they looked real i mean they they did a damn good job of making this real and the fact that you hear this music swell as you're feeling that sense of wonder to come through with it mm. it was amazing and i that song got stuck in my head more so than the stupid titanic song but i'm not even going to bother with that one because that's <laughs> not on my list at all and i don't think it's on yours either so no okay so like, like you said at the beginning of this episode this is purely like movie themes it's purely the instrumentals we should do an episode for actual movie songs that's gonna be an interesting top 10 list because yeah. i know we will never never have the same the same lists oh yeah and this one here i mean i'll be honest i think that you and i probably had a couple that were the same i yeah. took some off and moved some around because there were just too many in there that were too good Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's and again these themes here that we're picking out they're our favorites they're not necessarily everybody's favorites they're not you know gonna be what everybody should be seeing this is our opinion obviously <laughs> yeah and and these are not us saying these are the top 10 best themes ever because there are some on my list that are just like, why would you put this at this number and then this at that number? It's just because of I wanted to be able to talk about the themes yeah. I love. And um, honestly, it's right now where when we get to number one, it's because I've listened to that the most recently as far as how many times I've listened to it. But um, yeah. my number eight is uh <laughs> it's purely because of looney tunes but it's lethal weapon 2 the main theme the main title let me go ahead and play that here for us So this is, you know, people are going to ask, well, why Lethal Weapon 2? Well, the main theme to the original Lethal Weapon 
movie as it opened was Jingle Bell Rock. It's not Christmas time, people. As much as I love Jingle Bell Rock, there, you know, the theme for Lethal Weapon 2, first of all, I did put it in here for the open. I wish Warner Brothers still did that with their movies, threw in the Looney Tunes at the, at the Warner Brothers logo. I wish yeah. they'd still do that, but... Um, that opening theme, it's basically the opening scene of Lethal Weapon 2 is Riggs and Raj, they're they're chasing down this red BMW and um, and you know Riggs eventually you know ends up on foot somehow and I mean Martin Riggs as a character amazing 80s action guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, this guy is this shit when it comes to 80s action and um mel actually went a little crazy later in life uh but Riggs still still holds up Riggs as a character still holds up uh mel as an actor actually got in shape recently and actually is the villain in the most recent expendables 3 movie uh really man yeah man he plays a good bad guy I mean, it was like, what if Riggs really went bad? Oh, um, Jesus. <laughs> it was it was really cool. I mean, I know a lot of people don't. The problem with The Expendables 3 on a little tangent here is that somebody at the studio somehow leaked a full-on digital release print uh, online. It got leaked like three weeks before it was supposed to open in theaters, and that really hurt the film. Uh, I love all three Expendables movies. I'm going to be doing an episode of M-Wire in December about all three of them. Um, but what I love nowadays is this franchise because you see all of these 80s action stars coming together, ripping off each other's lines, and it's still sounding so cool. Um, I think in the first or the second one, um, you know, Arnold says, I'll be back. You've already, you've been back enough. I'm going to, you know, Bruce Willis chimes <laughs> in or whatever else, but Lethal Weapon 2, um, absolutely amazing movie. Uh, the entire Lethal Weapon franchise, I, I know people kind of give three and four, eh, but I, I love all four of them. I have, I'm trying to see here if it's, uh, La, La Land Records put out the, uh, eight disc lethal weapon cd set and that all totals um seven hours 51 minutes of music by michael Kamen. now this does have um like i said this does have like the bobby helms jingle bell rock it does uh, have uh, certain other ones it has um uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door by Randy Crawford. It has uh, Still Cruising After All These Years by the Beach Boys. So, well, in records, they're a soundtrack slash score, films, film and television. Yeah, they're basically a soundtrack company. But they don't just do scores. They, like, the Lethal Weapon set, I mean, this this eight-disc set is, like, valued at, like, 120 bucks, And they, um, you know, it's got Runaway Train done by Elton John and Eric Clapton from Lethal Weapon 3. Um, they've got, you know, the opening, you know, the opening song, It's Probably Me by Sting with Eric Clapton for Lethal Weapon 3. I mean, just amazing. Michael Kamen, as a composer, did amazing, amazing work. I had no idea until I, until La La Land, I actually... 
Bubble and Records sent me this box set for review last Christmas. And I wrote up a two-page review, which I'll probably have you put in the post at some point. But um, So they sent me this, and I'm going through this, and I'm doing some – because as I'm writing the review, I had never – I guess in my closed-mindedness, I had never really heard of Michael Kamen, or I didn't remember hearing about him. So I'm going through, and I'm researching him. He did the music for the Die Hard movies. You know, I mean, this guy, you know, rest his soul, he was an amazing composer. I would put him right up there with with Williams and Silvestri and, and Zimmer and, and, and everybody like that. Um, yeah, so Lethal Weapon 2 main, main title was my number eight. What is your number seven, sir? My number seven, if I can find it here. This <laughs> one, I'm sure everybody's going to have heard this one. Uh. God, I love Mission Impossible. <laughs> I love Mission That's a franchise we have to do an episode on. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Well... More so for me, more so the movies, because I, I, the only thing I remember about the TV series is the theme song. Um, but I mean, that music was amazing in its time, and it's still amazing to this day. If it stays on track, Mission Five will release hopefully, I think December of 2016, which is basically. Um, 20 years since the first film. So in 20 years, they've made all... They, if, they, if they make the fifth film, in 20 years, they would have made five Mission Impossible films. Doesn't that just make you feel old that it was 1996 that the first Mission Impossible came out as a movie? Hell yes, it does, dude. <laughs> Hell yes. I'm feeling ancient now. Uh, but no, I love I love the mission theme. I love how they used it in the movies. I love it in the TV series. Oh yeah, well I love the fact that the, this this version here was actually done by you too, and they did such a good job with it, putting that in. Just it was done the, by Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen of you too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they put it together so well, and I like it. I actually like it better than the originals that I've heard. You know, from the TV yeah. series. Mm-hmm. This one here, just that little bit of beat and the you know the little bit of crunch in there for the sound. Oh man, this is the one that I like. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now I will say, <laughs> I will say that I was expecting them to use the same one for the second film. Come to find out, they combined it with Limp Biscuits. Take a look around, <laughs> and I didn't. No, I okay. I know, I know. It's Limp Biscuit. It's Fred Durst, and you know whatever. But I honestly didn't mind it because I actually love the second movie. Um, I, I really, really do. I, I was hit or miss with the second one just because the whole, the whole thing with the virus on there was was kind of hokey. I thought, you know, and and the very end when they're challenging each other with the bikes and jumping off the bikes into each other, that <laughs> that my parents and I were both going, really, come on. Well, you know, and that was about it. <laughs> I remember when I originally had the DVD for that movie, John Woo's commentary, he said he wanted to have it be um, a modern-day joust. So instead of horses, you have motorcycles. That's what yeah. he wanted it to be. 
Um, and that's kind of John Woo's style. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I, I love that Mission Impossible theme. I, I, I can watch that trailer for the first film over and over and over again because how how whoever did it for the tra- you know for the trailer company the company that made the trailer put it together so well with the fuse and everything else oh so oh good. yeah yeah well, let's move on to yours yes you number next? seven um, and again I want to reiterate these are favorites <laughs> I know yeah. this probably should be number one. But I wanted to get other ones on here that that uh, not necessarily I enjoy more, but um, that I want to talk about a little bit more. But um, we all need to go to the dark side. Yes. Of the moon. Now, what's so interesting about the Imperial March, Darth Vader's theme from Star Wars by Williams, is that I believe on the actual soundtrack for, um, is it Empire? I forget which one it's on. It's on, it's on various ones. I don't think it starts off like with like I think it starts off really slow. Yes. Like, like what you played there was like the like the the middle kind of thing and. It, it's like like my version of John Williams' um, uh, Superman theme starts off a hell of a lot. It's like there's like a prelude. To, I actually have a pre. It, my my copy of John Williams' Superman theme is prelude and main title. So it mm. starts off super. I'll have to I'll have to show you later. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, in, in, in Imperial March. I I love Imperial March. Um, oh it's just one of those things that you know how, how can you not love it i mean <laughs> yeah you know it's one of those things you hear it and you're like this is it this is it this is what i'm going to listen to yeah. absolutely and uh, so i'm going to move into my next one here uh this one here everybody's probably going to recognize it because it's just one of those things that you hear it and you instantly go i'm in philadelphia <laughs> We yep. got it from Rocky. <laughs> yep. Now, did you know that um, I believe, oh, God, is it supposed to be Stallone? Yeah. I believe the touch was supposed to be the Rocky theme originally. <laughs> you got the touch? Really? Yes. Stan Bush. I, yes. I, I saw it somewhere. Um, now, okay, so... You know, you played that, and recently, like, as of this week, as of this recording, we just lost um, the lead singer of Survivor. Yes. And we cannot talk about Rocky, if I can find it, we cannot talk about Rocky without talking about The Eye of the Tiger, because that song, granted it wasn't until the 
third film that it played, but um, that song, it just... E- even though the theme you played, obviously, is the main Rocky theme, honestly, yeah. Eye of the Tiger is... Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that really is the... Uh, you know, that is the... Um, that, that is the theme. Yeah, and I think what we'll have to do, as you mentioned before, is that because mm-hmm. this is such a focus on just the instrumentals, that's what that's why I picked this particular one versus mm-hmm. Eye of the Tiger, <laughs> only because I didn't want to get into a whole bunch of stuff with lyrics in there. I mean, right? It's yeah. Just you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't you know even 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 if I had it pulled up and playing, I wouldn't even have to play. I would only play like the first ten seconds because the first ten seconds is nothing but instrumental. It doesn't oh, yeah. even. I mean. With Eye of the Tiger, it doesn't even kick into vocals until like 15 seconds or so. But I mean, yeah. just hearing that and, you know, may yeah. Jamie rest in peace. It's kind of sad that he, he, he is gone now, lead singer survivor. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the main Rocky theme, uh, absolutely love it. Oh, it's, it's so good. And, and the fact that when you look at Stallone was actually trying to push this movie into production. Nobody wanted to do it because he wanted to play Rocky. Everybody thought that he was going to be just this little goof and that he wasn't going to be good at it at all. And then here it goes on for Best Picture nominations. You know, it just, it blew up. And after this movie, Mm. everybody was running around wanting to punch a side of meat, you know, run up the stairs in Philly so that they could get up to the top and shake their fists and be like, yay! You know, so... I, you know, it was good. I, I liked it for that. So mm-hmm. let's move on to uh, your next one, sir. So, well, before we move on, um, uh, The Touch, it was also released in 87 on Stan Bush Barrage's self-titled album. The song was inspired by a line in the movie Iron Eagle, originally written for the Sylvester Stallone film. Oh, it was originally written for Cobra, not Rocky. I'm sorry. It was originally written That's for okay. Cobra. Um, all right. So my next one, and people are going to say, wait, what? It's a Danny Elfman theme. In 2002, Spider-Man finally swung onto the film scene. Yes. Uh, I absolutely love uh, the main titles for this. This is so good. Yeah. It was kind of creepy and just... Mm-hmm. It's it's Danny Elfman all over. Mm-hmm. Just that little drum beat. Yeah. I mean, ju- just that little that little drum beat in the middle of it is just so amazing, and and seeing Spidey swing in the city, um, you know, seeing that that effect, it was it was so amazing. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, people will say I've heard people in the past and last uh, five six years say, oh well, you know, you listen to Danny Elfman's themes and they kind of all repeat themselves and whatever else. You know, if you put if you put no. But I mean, like he uses some of the same instruments and, and some of the yeah. same things in in, in 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 each of his themes. But it, I, I guarantee you, if you do a left speaker, right speaker with Batman and Spider Man, 
they are two. They, they might have a little bit of similarity, but they are two totally different themes. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. They're. This is just. It, it's a far cry. You hear it. It is that creepy eeriness mm-hmm. that you hear from most of Danny Elfman's. And for for those who don't know, things like. Uh, Danny Elfman's done things like The Simpsons and Batman and Beetlejuice, so you can hear a lot of the stuff going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's definitely he's got a style, and I I don't know what else to say about that. It's just it's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to bring one quick thing up that I remember for this movie. Did you ever see the original trailer that they had for Spider Man when it came out? Yeah, a long time ago though. Okay. The original trailer, it actually had guys doing a bank robbery and they were getting ready to fly off in a helicopter. Mm -hmm. And the helicopter was going to fly through New York and fly in between the Twin Towers. And there was a spider web in front of that. And they pulled it right after 9-11. Yeah, good decision, Sony. Very good decision. Yeah, that was... um, yeah, I, I do remember that. I do remember, uh, actually, <laughs> I got burnt out on Spider-Man the op- opening day because at the time I had had a huge fight with my then-girlfriend and I basically paid for one show and hopped it five more times after that all oh, day God. long. I spent, if that movie's two and a half, I probably spent ten and a half, twelve hours at a movie theater seeing Spider-Man, 2002 Spider-Man, Six times in one day. <laughs> yep. Yep. My ass would have been numb halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to mine. My next one. Uh, this one here, it is iconic. There's no two ways about that. Anybody who hears this is going to know. You've heard it in other movies. That's how popular this one is. Night Rider? <laughs> nope, nope. We're going to get a little ugly with this one. Yes, this one here, I got to be honest, I've never really seen the entire movie all the way through. It's it's not that I haven't wanted to. It's just that every time it's been on, something has interrupted me and it pisses me off. Either, you know, I'll sit down with my dad and he'll he'll start watching and he goes, oh, wait, 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 we're getting to the good part. And I'm like, dad, shut up. I haven't seen it yet. And he goes, oh, well, wait, 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 you're going to see this. You're going to love this. Oh, well, no, wait, they did this in Fistful of Dollars. And he starts talking through the movie, and it's like, shut up! Don't ruin it! You know, but this was just, it was the music. Um, Enrico Marconi, I think it was, is how you say his name. I, I apologize if I'm, if I'm butchering this. The guy was, he basically was what started the spaghetti western ideas. And right. it's an Italian guy who's coming along, creating all these all these westerns, of the seventies. Mm-hmm. And this one here, I never really saw it in theaters, but it was one of these ones that it was always on. It seemed like always on uh, KTLA or uh, the Fox affiliate out here, or, you know, like some independent studio that was out here or a independent television station that was out here on the West coast. 
And it, it was like every weekend you'd see this one or you'd see Fistful of Dollars. You'd see some Clint Eastwood movie that he mm-hmm. was doing. And I swear it felt like there was 15 of them. But you always heard Good, Bad, and the Ugly throughout it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that this song has, you know, it's shown up on numerous cartoons or very something very similar to it. Whenever you'd see like a showdown between kids or you'd mm-hmm. see a showdown in the middle of it. And you'd always hear Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Love it because of that. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so my next one. <laughs> hey, you coming uh, out here for this one? You coming out uh, to San Diego for this? Yeah, I'm going to Miramar. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Oh, God. We, you two jokers have made it to Top Gun. Oh, yes. God. I, I, love, I love James Tolkien. Uh, oh, I love him as as Strickland in Back to the Future. I love him as, uh, you know, the guy in the instructor in Top Gun. I even love him as Lubbock in Masters of the Universe. Um, oh! <laughs> uh, but yes, the Top Gun anthem. The anthem that plays when Tom Cruise throws his father's eyes out into the ocean. Um, or dog t- Oh, wait, I'm, I'm mixing that up. Well, yeah, no, I'm I'm mixing that up with um, with Hot Shots because in Hot Shots that's how they spoofed it. They threw his that's eyeballs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Top Gun, uh, amazing, just simply amazing. Here we go um, for you folks. We'll give you a little taste of this just so you can hear it. <laughs> And I'm picturing the planes going up on the elevators right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. absolutely. I love that. I mean, just... You know, it takes me back. Granted, I lived here through that. I was, you know, I was literally five miles from Miramar Air Station. It mm-hmm. was just over the hill from where I used to live. And, you know, you, you see these jets, you see them taking off and flying around and actually walk through where Fighter Town USA was every year. Well, last year was probably the first year that they never had did it. But every year they have at Miramar a huge air show that goes on. And you get to actually walk out on the runway. You get to see the planes taking off. They have planes that fly overhead. And you get to walk into the Fighter Town USA hangar. Unfortunately, oh yeah, unfortunately, they've repainted it. So they, they, had, they had to take down the Fighter Town because Fighter Town is no longer there. It's, it's, they moved when the Navy gave up the base to the Marines. Oh. They moved Fighter Town out to Nevada. And I want to say it's probably actually out by Area 51 somewhere, Groom Lake or something like that. It wouldn't surprise me, but that's, they do a lot of their training out there. So, you know, but they that's, that's what happened to Top Gun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just, it was something to see. And, and you walk through there and you know it's the same hangar, mm-hmm. but all the Fighter Town USA stuff has been, ta- has been painted over because all that had Navy symbols in there. And the Marines were like, we're Marines. We're not going to have this shit all over the walls. Yeah. So. You know, it, it, but, and it's funny too, because there's certain things like 
there's a scene where you see them going onto uh, a base and they're pulling up through the base there. And the mm-hmm. base that they're going to is, uh, oh God, it, it's down off of Point Loma. And I can't think mm-hmm. of what it was, what it was called, but it's now Liberty Station. And you can actually drive through there now. It's all opened up. The, it's no longer a base. They've put in a bunch of restaurants and stuff there. Uh, it, it's just really weird. Like, you go in where the base was, and you're seeing Trader Joe's, and you're seeing mm-hmm. Slater's, and you're seeing Corvette Diner. You know, it's just like, uh, these are all tourist traps now. It's not the base at all hey, like it used to be. I didn't know AC had a restaurant out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but okay, so the, the the Top Gun anthem. First of all, Her- Harold Faltermeyer. I mean, two years removed from when he created another theme that I'm sure is on here somewhere. Uh, two years after that uh, is when this happened in 1986, and this again. This is what I love about certain composers when they look at a project and they cater it and create new like new sounds like. The other one that we'll talk about here in a moment, because I know it's on your list, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that one was unique on its own, but this one, the Top Gun Anthem, is just, it's all the way Navy, it is all the way fighter pilot music, it's just, everything about it is, is amazing. Yes, it just, and for me, this holds a lot of history for me, just because I've I've been through so much and seeing it around here in San Diego mm-hmm. and I still love this song, this theme song, you know, to some extent, I, I kind of hate the movie because of Tom, Tom Cruise just being typical asshole that he always is and discovering that he's an asshole at the very end and kind of like, you know, he, he kind of comes to his senses. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was a great, it was basically a Navy recruitment movie, you know, two hours, two and a half hours of Navy recruitment. That's what it was. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, Navy recruitment with Meg Ryan as the Navy girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, with that in mind, let's move on. I'll I'll move to mine since you mentioned Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> this is my next one. Yes. And there we have it, folks. Axel Foley. Yes. Do we need to say anything more? I mean, this. No, everybody should know this. I will say that um, I'm very interested to see if they pull off the quote unquote fourth. Okay, so here's a little bit of history, folks. After the third movie, there was going to be a fourth one, then there wasn't, and then there was, then there wasn't, and then, oh, hey, let's do a TV series, and then that kind of died, and now supposedly the fourth movie is kind of back in talks in Hollywood and everything else. Um, but the first two films are masterpieces. They really, really are. I prefer the second over the first, but I still love them both equally. I mean, we got Glenn Fry's The Heat Is On out of the first one. Um, oh, yeah. You know, um, and, and Faltermeyer, amazing. Like I said earlier, with Elfman, if you put Faltermeyer from 
Beverly Hills Cop and Faltermeyer from Top Gun on a left speaker, right speaker kind of thing, two totally different and unique. I mean, oh, yeah. th- these themes could not be more day and night of each other than any, yeah, but Axel, every, you don't even need to hear the chorus of it. You just hear the opening drum beats and you know. Yes, that and that synthesizer. I mean, that's that's really yeah. all that you need. And you mm-hmm. hear it and you're just like, oh, I know, I've heard this song before. Oh, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I'm going to hear Eddie Murphy. I'm going to see him, you know. And the fact that he came from Detroit to come out here to Beverly Hills and he kind of, you know, here's this black cop being in the middle of, you know, let's face it, white rich people, <laughs> you know. It, it just, it was, oh man, I, I love this movie. I, I loved it. It's, I have to admit that I haven't really, I, I I did see Beverly Hills Cop 2. I saw Beverly Hills Cop 3, which I thought was awful compared to the first two. It, it Beverly Hills Cop 3, it tries to be, it tries to have the franchise evolve. And what I mean by that is evolve with the times because it tries to be, because it was released in 94. I mean, yeah. 10 years after the first one, you know, uh, it tries to be a 90s movie. Um, the problem with 3 is, first of all, you give Billy all this power. Should have never done that. Yeah. Uh, second second of all, Taggart retires. I don't know yeah. what the behind-the-scenes story is with John Ashton, why he couldn't be in the movie, and you get Hector Elizondo to be his pseudo-replacement. Um, yeah. I mean, 3 has some funny stuff in it. I mean, oh, I yeah. I did I did like Pinshot as Serge, and, you know, in the in in, oh, in yeah. the gun scenes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the funny thing about uh, this franchise is that Gil Hill, who plays um, Inspector Todd, actually ran for mayor of Detroit. Like he oh, was. He, no, seriously. I mean, no, I believe I mean, you. You know, I say this and you're thinking, oh, great, another Jerry Springer mayor of Cincinnati. You know, it really wasn't that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of cool that the actual actor who plays this, you know, pretty famous police inspector actually had a political career in the city in which, you know, his one of his most famous movies is based in. Yeah. I mean, it still came off of, you know, it's probably he... he plan that and when he was kind of like okay you know what people are seeing me already up here in Detroit why not (laughs) (laughs) alright so my number four is um, we're going to jump in the DeLorean and, and and have some fun and go back in time yes Good old Alan Silvestri. Um, yes. <laughs> and all I can hear on that last part of that 
part of the ref, part, part of the chorus there. All, all, all I can hear is is uh, Michael J. Fox in my head. All right, let's see if these bastards can do ninety. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can hear. But Back to the Future, Alan Silvestri, amazing composition, amazing music, all three films. I a lot of people I know don't like the third film. But by the third film, we were done with Marty's story. We were done with Marty and trying to make sure his family was, you know, not in therapy for millions of years. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I've seen – at one point I had the 2005 DVD set where um, I think it's Bob Gale was on there talking about it and Zemeckis was on there. and They said with the third movie they wanted it to be a Marty and Doc movie because we hadn't – I mean we'd seen that a little bit throughout the first two. But it was – you know more so the main story was Marty and his family. So I still love the third one. Um, The first two are – I mean the first one is amazing. It it just really, really is. Um, And as much as I love Elizabeth Shue, I'm kind of sad that they replaced the first Jennifer because I think the first Jennifer – uh, kind of fit the first actress that played Jennifer in the first film. Kind of fit the role a little bit better. Yeah, I don't know, Elizabeth Shue was as much as again as much as I love her as an actress. She was she just seemed like she was a little too old for Marty. She didn't seem like she was yeah. she was as young as the first one in the first film. Every time I see her in that role, all I can think of is you know, oh my god, it's Adventures in Babysitting it's, or yeah. it's Cocktail. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, Back to the Future, amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love this series. This, I believe it or not, this was actually originally my number four. And <laughs> when you, when, when you pulled this out, I was like, okay, I'm going to let Mike have this one here. I was really tempted to pull out the Huey Lewis song from this movie, Back in Time. Yeah. And I didn't. I, yeah. I didn't. Because, I mean, that's another one that you hear that one and you instantly associate that with this film. But... Yeah. Partly because I was trying to keep it to mostly instrumentals. Yeah, so I kind of went, okay, you know what? That's fine. I'll, I'll live with it. <laughs> what is your number four? My number four? This is going to be one that everybody's going to recognize. <laughs> because you mentioned, oh, who was it? Uh, you know, that, that guy that keeps showing up in all these different movies. You had, you know, he played, Sean Connery played him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so here we go. Come on, James. <laughs> we got to get to the part where everybody's going to recognize this. <laughs> there we go. Oh, 007 okay. theme song. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let me, let me ask you this. Who had the best gunshot? Jeez, they were all shooting with the Walther, you know, Walther PPK. Um, you know, I kind of liked Daniel Craig in, in um, uh, the the last one. Oh my God, what is it? Skyfall. Um, Skyfall. Thank you. I was thinking Thunderball, and I'm going. No, I know that's not no. Right. <laughs> no. 
No, no, that was that was Sean Connery. I remember that, but I wanted to say that. But yeah, I think he was probably the best one because he kept missing his shots at the beginning of the movie when he was coming back from right, his yeah. slew off. So you kind of got to see it, and it was like, okay, he's screwing up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for me, I... it's always going to come back to Brosnan. It really is Brosnan and Goldeneye yeah. because here's the thing, like. I had seen, like, as a child, I had seen, and my, my mom let me watch anything as a kid, so it's not like I'm, you know, going to be scarred. Oh, wait, I was scarred for life with Nightmare on Elm Street, but anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, you know, so I pretty much watched anything and everything. I've seen, I had seen The Man with the Golden Gun. I had seen um, Goldfinger when I was a kid. I, I had seen all these other movies, and I had seen... Um, as a kid, I was more into License to Kill than The Living Daylights. Um, yeah. And as a kid, I guess you could say Dalton was my Bond. Um, but, like, I really jumped on Bond's bandwagon when Pierce was announced and Goldeneye was coming out in 95 because Pierce Brosnan just made Bond cool. He, like, I'm not saying that Sean Connery or Roger Moore or any of the other ones are bad. I'm not saying that at all. Sean Connery will always be James Bond. Um, but for me personally and what I liked, I always wanted to be Brosnan because he he was just, you know, I mean, the, the opening scene in Goldeneye. Oh, pardon, forgot to knock. Quack. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just so, so good. Oh my god. Um but yeah, the main theme for Bond, everybody recognizes that and you can't go wrong with it. <laughs> no. You really I mean, can't. The only the only thing which kind of almost stopped me from putting it in here was because it covers all the Bond movies. And that's well, yeah, the but they also well, it's not really a problem because they also update it. Like I mean, well, they they work on it and I mean like, the one you played, I don't remember um, – I know that's from one of the Connery films. Yeah. Um, but, like, when they did the Brosnan ones, it was the original theme, but it seemed like it was a little bit more polished for the time, maybe. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, and, yeah, they – you know, they – They've played it up and played it up and whatever else. Um, I'll say right now, up until Skyfall, I was ready for anybody but Daniel Craig to be Bond. I was yeah. so – I originally – okay, I know everyone hates Die Another Day. I get it. People hate it, but whatever. Um, I so did not want Brosnan to not be Bond anymore. And then they went in this new direction and put him back as a rookie and hadn't had his double O status yet. And they had Daniel Craig. And I had never seen Daniel Craig before, but I, I just – he's not – out of all the Bonds, he is the one that is least likely to be the Bond that I enjoy. Up until Sky, until Skyfall, I was ready for someone new. Like yeah. Skyfall was – Skyfall, in my opinion, was the full-on true relaunch of James Bond. Oh, yeah. Uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Boredom just don't... I mean, Casino Royale is all right. It's good. It's it's interesting. Um, But it just... I don't know. Well, I mean, Skyfall, you had had M. You Mm -hmm. basically had the new M coming in. You know, Mm -hmm. you have... 
Um, you have your introduction to Money Penny, the the real Money Penny. It wasn't just some stupid joke like what they did with Casino Royale, where yeah. it was like you know this reference to it. You know, you had you saw Q come in for the first time. Yeah. They brought in the DB7, the Aston Martin DB7 that he drove, or DB5, mm-hmm. I think it was. DB5, yeah. Yeah, and just seeing that old Aston Martin there, it was kind of like, okay, they got some nice little touches. And it wasn't over the top. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Die Another Day where you see, you know, them driving these cars across the ice, and it's kind of like, okay, really? You know, and... I- I will say in Die Another Day's defense, I did like the invisible car part of the of the yeah. of the as of the yeah. Uh, I did like that, um, but for me, it's it's the classic Bonds. It's several of Roger Moore's. Like I love the Man with the Golden Gun. It's, oh, it's yeah. probably my favorite Roger Moore Bond. Um, but for me, it, it, it it's the Brosnan era. I mean. And to see in the world is not enough that, oh, God, it's just that movie now is heartbreaking because you know it's the last time you're ever going to see Q. Yeah. I do wish they would have kept R up a little bit more because I I like you have for almost 50. Well, okay, almost, you know, almost 50 you know, almost 40 years, you have Desmond Llewellyn as Q. And then you bring in Mr. Faulty Tower himself, Mr. Basil himself, John friggin' Cleese as R. And it just, it worked. Um, and I thought it was awesome. And I wish they would have kept some aspect of that in the new universe. But I get they're, you know, trying to reboot and reset and do something new and fresh and whatever else. Yeah. The, the guy they have playing Q now is fine. Yeah. But no one. No one will ever compare to Desmond. Just, just and no I think way. that I, I think that the guy who's playing Q now knows that. And, and you know, I think he realizes that he's got some huge shoes to fill, and he's like, you know what, I'm not even going to try, <laughs> which yeah. is fine. I mean, yeah. I mean, I like the stuff in Skyfall where he says, you know, the days of the exploding pen are over, and that's just direct <laughs> reference to Goldeneye. Um, yes. You know, I mean, I like that. I like that they did that, and I, I find it interesting with. You know, Craig and and you know Craig is Bond and and Q, and that Q is younger and it kind of reminded me of I hate to bring this up here but because Q is so young in this and he's not like even a you know slightly middle aged or older man like like Desmond's Q was it almost reminds me of freaking James Bond Jr. It's really what it reminds me of. Yeah, the yeah, character. I'll give you that. Yeah, just a little bit, but overall, the James Bond theme, absolutely amazing. Um, all right, for me, for number three, I, I did have this as my number one, but I, I moved it to number three because I, I just, as much as I love it, and I think it's amazing, and I am a huge fan of this guy, uh, he is the current day like for me he is what Hans I'm not saying Hans Zimmer isn't um, still good but like right now this guy can do absolutely no wrong in my eyes he has scored multiple movies multiple video games Um, he gave a psychological depth to the soundtrack for this movie and that is 
Iron Man 3's track 20. It's called Can You Dig It? And as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh, there's Booker T's new entrance music. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. I mean, how, how can you not love, like, I was surprised with Iron Man 3 because I figured, okay, well, it's a Marvel movie, they're going to start it like they always start it, and Iron Man 3 is by far the most different start to any of the Marvel movies that I've seen because it opens with Tony doing a narrative, and it doesn't open with any title sequence, and I'm like, hey, wh- wh- what's going on here? Where's the thing? It's kind of like what they did with Skyfall. Yeah. Okay, sure, Skyfall has that horrible, you know, whining Adele song in the beginning, but it's kind of like what they did with Skyfall with um, with the bullet at the end. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't expecting anything out of the end credits to Iron Man 3 whatsoever. Not saying that I wasn't expecting Brian Tyler's score to be awesome, which it is, but I wasn't, like, I didn't expect them to do a whole title sequence. And what they did with the end credits to Iron Man 3 is they... At least the first, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes of it. It's all scenes from all three movies. Yeah. As you know, as as the credits are rolling, like because the thing about Iron Man three is it's Shane Black, the dude from Lethal Weapon. You know, um, you know, in, in the director's seat, and I figured because, and I know it's Marvel, they wouldn't do this, but I, I honestly figured when when Favreau wasn't going to be in the director's chair, I figured they were just going to sweep him under the rug, like com- like just completely ignore the first two movies, and I was really surprised that they had scenes from all three as the end credits, and I thought that was amazing. I, I'm glad for that. I mean, it was when I saw that it kind of it kind of gave to me the let's wrap it all up type thing. And this mm-hmm. is kind of, I don't want to say it's the end of Iron Man because we know he's going to be back in the Avengers age of Ultron, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of just tied up everything nicely in this little package for us for everything that was going on with Tony's life. And right. the fact that you're seeing, you know, the extremist stuff going on and, and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this is going to be a good, good fresh start for, for the next part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I, I do too. I I really do want an Iron Man 4. Now, I know there has been a bunch of talk about if RDJ doesn't come back to do Tony, that they'll put somebody else in Tony. And I know it's become a trend now where, um, not that this matters to me at all in the slightest, but they, um, they race reverse roles. Uh, like, like if you're going to have Tony Stark, make sure it's the proper Tony Stark. Or if you're going to have a, you know, a new Tony Stark, make sure it's like a distant relative from 2099 or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's fine. Uh, if they do something new with him, great. But I still I still think Robert Downey Jr. can do one more Iron Man after after Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, yeah. He still loved his... You know, he's mm-hmm. still the perfect person for this. So, mm-hmm. all right, your number three. My number three. This is the only one out of this list that has lyrics to it. <laughs> and you know what? 
as soon as you hear it, you're going to go, okay, I know why he picked it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have an instrumental version of this. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. I mean, I, I had to pick this one. I see. Th- this is. <laughs> I remember seeing Ghostbusters as a kid. It came out when I was four, but I remember seeing it five or six, seven, somewhere around there. But I know everyone hates the other one, but the second film was really when I got into Because by the time the second film came around, I was, you know, still living in Massachusetts. Every time we would go to Puppagino's, I'd run to the jukebox, put my money in, and hit Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters theme because everybody knew it. Everybody oh, yeah. knew this theme. Um, even the instrumental. The instrumental is amazing by itself. Uh, it really, really is. Um, here's the thing with Ghostbusters is that um, it basically gave us four amazing characters uh it, you know it 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 gave us a really damn decent plot it pretty much at least in my mind introduced me and probably the rest of the world to bill murray i mean i know he was in caddyshack and some other stuff and yeah. he was in a lot of stuff in the 80s but like this was if i was to say it this was probably his oh my god make me famous role um and the thing yeah. about Ghostbusters is two years after it came out in 1986, I still have pictures somewhere. I went to the Boston Budweiser Expo. And not only did I get to stand next to Michael Knight and have him hold my hand and give me a thumbs up at the same time and take a picture with him, but I also got to stand next to the roped off Ecto-1. <laughs> um and yeah i i love ghostbusters it's a movie that will never never not be good um i just found out recently because this is the 30th anniversary they're putting it back in theaters for limited engagement i think they just did that for the memorial or labor day weekend yeah Uh, i I don't know if it's still going on i think it was just for the weekend but i would have loved like that you know i I mentioned this on one of the other uh episodes that we've done i i think it was when we talked about top yeah it was when we talked about days of thunder when i was uh, talking about top gun because i had seen top gun in theaters because they were re-releasing it for blu-ray um i would love i would have loved to have gone to see ghostbusters in the theaters i really would have um, I, I wanted to because I wanted to see how they cleaned it up a little bit. They they did run it through a little bit of, of computers digitizing and all that. But mm-hmm. I think that all that they really did was they did it to remove things like dust and scratches mm-hmm. and maybe make the colors look a little bit more vibrant, which I'm fine with that. That's okay because that's mm-hmm. like, okay, stuff's faded from the years. Let's improve it just a hint, just a little bit. You know, it's not like... It's not like when they redid Star Wars and they had to put in dobacks and you know mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things, but that's yeah, that's, that's, a, whole that's a whole other, other <laughs> yeah, worms, yeah. All right, 
What's your next one? Well, do you want to do yours? Because I've got my Ghostbusters oh. out. Oh, that's right. Um, for my number two... Um, <laughs> uh, winged Freak terrorizes... Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> Here we go. I'm seeing the shield fly away from the screen right now. <laughs> Where does he get those wonderful toys? Yes. Come on, come on. We got to get that little bit in there. Absolutely. Danny Elfman's yeah. 89 Batman. That was an, like, his, they marketed that movie as the movie of the decade for the 80s. Because before then we had the Bill Finger, or not Bill Finger, I'm not Bill Finger, what's the guy's name? Um, crap. The 66 show. Oh, oh uh, Adam West. No, what's the producer? The oh, jeez, I, I can't think of. I can't. I can't think of. Well, before this, we had Adam West Batman, and Adam West Batman is fine in in and of itself. It was you know full on. You know, it was done in the '60s, so of course it's going to be campy to us in the '80s. Yeah, uh, and it's going to have a lot of camp in it. But it was awesome at the time. But this was like the Batman everybody wanted in the '80s because Frank Miller was telling dark tales and and. Yes. Everybody wanted this, and Tim Burton put his stamp on it, and he did an amazing job with how Gotham looked. He gave us Lando Calrissian as Harvey Dent. Yes. Uh, he, you know, I mean, eh, Batman. Okay, sure. If you look at it analytically, and you criticize it all to hell, it's going to be a bad movie for you. But if you just sit back and have fun with it and enjoy the darkness of it, uh, you know, Michael Keaton, amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. Jack I, I Nicholson mean, as the Joker. Oh, my God. So You know, good. I got to say, Cesar Romero, I know that everybody liked him as the Joker, and everybody thought that Jack Nicholson coming in to be the Joker was going to be a bad thing and that it was really going to kind of crush what we saw from from Cesar Romero mm -hmm. and Jack Nicholson. I still think he captured crazy way too well for this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was perfect for, for the Joker for this, you know, and, and Keaton, I thought, Oh, you know, Keaton's going to be bad because he played mostly comedy type stuff. You saw him playing Mr. Mom, mm -hmm. you know, and gung ho. And I, I saw this coming out. I'm like, Oh, this is not going to end well that he's <laughs> not going to be good. You know? And I thought, I thought about that. And then all of a sudden I started seeing it and I'm like, Oh, oh, he's playing dark. I love this. And it just, it got better and better and better. Yeah. The, um, outside of the movie itself, the coolest thing for me 
during this whole campaign for Batman at this time. And I'm going to have to find it for you. I might still have the audio. I don't know. I'd have to find it. You might have to find a YouTube video for you. But um, was when Alfred did the Diet Coke commercial. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is still, to this day, the best movie soda commercial I have ever seen. Okay. I say movie soda commercial because it's you know it's it's got Batman in it. Okay, the, my my two favorite c- commercials for soda is this and Ray Charles with the right one baby for Diet Pepsi. Yep. Uh, those two commercials, no other ads, whether they're funny, whether they're serious, whatever. No other ads, in my opinion, can ever stand up above those two, at least for soda companies. Uh, but. You know, Michael Goff as Alfred doing that and, uh, you know, go- hello, Gotham Corner Store. Oh, my God. I friggin' love that commercial. Yes. Um, the movie itself was amazing and interesting and I, I still don't – the only thing I really find unbelievable about Batman 89 is that the um, the dish that Bruce uses for a bulletproof vest – I find that very unbelievable. Yeah. When, he, when, he, when he's in her apartment, I find that very unbelievable. Um, but the rest of it was just creepy and, and amazing. And you've got – who would I'm, – I'm trying to think was – City Slickers wasn't out yet, was it? That was 90 and 91, I think. I, yeah. You've got friggin' Jack Palance as, as – um, oh, God. Grissom, uh, you know, and you've got that death scene that he does when when Joker shoots him, and it just oh god, it's so so awesome, so good, and how they did the entrance to the Batcave, oh yes, again, it's just so good. I remember at Christmas time that year, um, I believe, because when did that what? What month did that come out for? Oh, God, I don't even remember. I seriously remember sitting in a JCPenney, either 89 or 90, um, at Christmas time, uh, watching this movie on one of their entertainment screens at the time. And just everything about it was so, so great. Uh, you know, you didn't... Like... Like, I wasn't into comics back then, but, like, I knew nothing, knew nothing of the Batwing. I knew of the Batcopter and the Batplane from, you know, from Adam West and all that and everything oh, else, yeah. but but knew nothing of the, the Batwing. And when it debuted there on the film, it's like, oh, my God, it was so, just so amazing. Um... And that yeah, whole this... scene where you see it come up mm-hmm. right into the moon and it, it yep. does the whole Batman symbol and then it falls back yep. down was perfect. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This came out June 23rd, 1989. So by Christmas time, it was most definitely on VHS and, and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And I, I do remember seeing it there. Um, uh, absolutely amazing. All right. So number one, sir. Well, I've got my number two. Oh, your number number two, sorry. Yes, my number two. Uh, this one goes back to, believe it or not, before I was born. <laughs> but 
it's it's probably the only horror type film that I have on my list. Uh-huh. But again, in a very, very, very iconic song, very iconic music. That damn shark still looks fake. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's only I, a year before you were born. Yeah, I know, but I still. It's still one of these things. I I love this movie, and to this day, I know that shark attacks are very rare. But this goddamn movie still scares the crap out of me, and I have a hard (laughs) time going in the water because I'm afraid of goddamn sharks. (laughs) And yet you live in San Diego. (laughs) Yes. Well, there's a funny thing about this movie, because the very first time that my mother ever went to go see it, she and my grandmother go with my dad to the to the drive-in theaters in Santee or or maybe it was, uh, it was here in San Diego and they're there. And my dad gets out of the car to go to the bathroom. (laughs) My mom and my grandmother are sitting in the back seat, watching the movie terrified. And right as the shark goes to come out of the water, my father comes up and slams his hands down on the hood. (laughs) My mom said, Holy shit. We almost made the car a convertible. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, you know what? That one's going to have to be, I'm going to have to tell that story because my grandmother, you know, God rest her soul. She's gone now. But just thinking about her sitting there, you know, her and my mom sitting there in the back seat and, oh, shit, you know, and everybody around them going, what was that? And dying of laughter watching my father crack up and practically fall on the floor, you know. I, I, I can't help but think about that, you know, and. I love this movie. I It really was good. Even though it scared the crap out of me, I still love this. And still to this day, I hear that, that theme song and it's right there for me. And all I'm envisioning in my head is and it's Jabber John. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh. Frank Welker comes back. <laughs> oh, God. Frank, yeah, yeah, Frank Welker is curly. Oh, God. Yeah. Curly the Student Shark. Um, but no, yeah, Jaws. The Jaws theme is arguably one of the best. Uh, it really, really is. Um, uh, this kind of goes back to what we, we were covering about months ago. Um, I've Every now and then when I look on my on-demand for the free, like, you know, streaming programming, mm-hmm. recently they've put up the the add the trailer for a certain 1994 film and the music comes up dun 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 salsa shark (laughs) friggin randall from clerks yes all right uh my number one it took them make sure my math is right here there have been many, many bootlegs over the years, but it took them 23 years to finally give us a full-on score for this movie. It took them all of that time to get it right, to get it done, and it was done superbly. It really, really was. I Again, this is another one of those... Uh, things where La Land Records sent me a review copy of the score. It is by Hans Zimmer. It is the Days of Thunder main title.
Say what you will about the movie itself. My personal opinion, I still love it to this day. It is, as you've said already in this episode, it is your standard Tom Cruise acts like a dick, you know, finds out he doesn't have to be a dick and, you know, stops being a dick by the end because he wants to beat the other guy. But, I mean, this movie has everything you could want in a movie. Plus, it's loosely based on actual NASCAR events. That is amazing to me. Hans Zimmer, like, I've only heard the soundtrack at... Till last year, I'd only heard the soundtrack in the actual movie. Like, I had never really looked for the bootleg versions of the score. Um, But it just, it's one of those things that this music really sticks with me. And you can, like, I can listen to this, and I can listen to something like The Dark Knight from 2008. Mm -hmm. And you can really tell how far Zimmer has come in his music. Granted, I mean, racing movie versus the dark Knight is two completely different things, but like days of thunder. Um, like I always wanted, I always wanted to hear the rental car race music when they were doing (laughs) the rental car race or the wheelchair race music. It's here on this disc. Um, uh, it's amazing. And I love hearing the music without, the voices without the sound effects without the revving engines because it's just so damn good oh yeah and all of that adds to it don't get me wrong i like hearing all the sounds that you get but it's not the same it no. just isn't the same as hearing it all the instrumental and hearing it pulled out it oh god just <laughs> yeah and days of thunder probably one of the best ones because you can hear it it's got it's got kind of that southern sound to it. You can kind of hear it and kind of feel it coming through. Just phenomenal. I love this. Love this theme. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your number one? It's probably not going to come as too much of a surprise for you, but <laughs> we're going to end up going to a galaxy far, far away. Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) We've jumped to that galaxy to do battle with Han Solo and Luke and Darth Vader, the Imperial Stormtroopers. This this was actually Star Wars was the very first movie I ever saw on VHS. My parents went down to at the time it was known as Video Library and ended up becoming Blockbuster Video, which sadly is no more. Uh (laughs) But they went down and they rented a VCR and they rented the tape and we got to sit there and watch it. And I and my mom ended up paying after she rented it and we saw Star Wars like multiple times. She ended up buying a VCR that year for Christmas and she got a Christmas bonus. She paid a thousand dollars for a VHS VCR. Oh, my God. Yeah, and this was like, I mean, they had just come out. It was like, okay, she had to have one because she wanted to watch all these VHS movies. Star Wars is the very first one that we had and the very first one that I remember seeing. And I had never seen it 
in the theaters. It just it was not something that I ever had a chance to. It came out in 77, mm-hmm. but you know, I was born then. I had no idea. You know, I didn't even get a chance to see uh, Empire Strikes Back. The very first one I ever saw in the theaters was Return of the Jedi. But this theme song, a John Williams theme song, you know, and mm-hmm. most of the stuff that we have here, a good portion of them comes from John Williams. But just hearing this, it was like, that's it. I'm done. This is my favorite. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong. Some of the others that you had were right up there. You know, Indy, Back <laughs> to the Future. Uh, those are some of my favorites as well. Imperial March, obviously coming from this. Superman. All of them were good. And I know that I'm going to catch flack for this because people are going to go, but what about this one? What about that one? I didn't want to leave them out. But this was, this to me is my number one movie theme. You know, Mm -hmm. other people have, you know, somewhere over the rainbow. Other people have, you know, (laughs) I don't care. This is mine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So... Well, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this episode up. We've gotten all of our top ten out. We're we're going to have to come back and do you know something with vocals. We'll have to do that. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do I, – I was thinking about this today. We'll have to come back and do a movie uh, or a TV show theme songs because yeah. Lord knows there's a bunch of those we can do. Yeah, we would be here all night for those, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean – and that the problem with that is we're going to have to try and pick a top ten just so we can have it be – you know, yeah. less than an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. All right. So we'll go ahead and sign off here, Mike. I know that you've got some stuff coming up with uh, GCRN. So if you've got anything you want to talk about, um, just go over to Geekcast Radio Network. Uh, go over to geekcastradio.com. Check us out. We've got amazing stuff going on over there. Um, yep. Just go to the website and investigate yourselves. All right, and if you guys want to follow up along with us, you can go on to Facebook. We do have our Talking About My Generation page. That's actually what I use to give away the Batman action figure. I do have some other things which I will give away. Like I said, I have some movie reels that I, I can give away, some film reels. I've got some. Uh, I've got a Star Trek watch, which I still want to give away. Go ahead and like the page. We'll do that. You know, I'll, I'll do another drawing here from that. You know, at least if you if you like the page, I'll have your name to put in there and I can get contact information from you. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me know that you're listening. Uh, we also do have I last thing I wanted to make an announcement on. We do now have a voicemail number. So if you guys want to leave us a voicemail, you can. That number is area code 760 and if you leave us a message, we'll go ahead and read it on the air here. We'll play it on the air for everybody to listen to. So go ahead and leave us leave us a call there. All right. Thank you all. And we'll go ahead and we'll close out. I think I'll probably do a little bit of a mix of some of these some of these songs here. Maybe put in some of the other ones that we we kind of missed and do a little bit of a mix here for everybody. I think we ought to just put in a bunch of quotes from all the movies. <laughs> okay, we could do that too. <laughs> E.T. phone home. Home. Phone home. Phone home. Does this mean they're coming? Yes. 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Name's Bond. Stevens. I'm sorry I'm not here now, but I done gone down to the lounge hall, but if you like, you can leave a message at the tone and I'll get back to you at my earliest inconvenience. This, what does it always mean? This is Junior. What's his name? Henry Jones Junior. Like him. To name the dog in the 